The it factor. To turn yourself into an object at will. Erotically thrilling. Thrillingly erotic. The erotic thriller reached its peak in the year A descendant of the femme fatale, at the center is a woman. The woman. Though she is always fatal, she is not always femme. Hey. Hey. I know you hear me, pal. Gender variance is key for the erotic thriller. Woman is monster, she is man. A woman is a woman. A woman is a person is a voice. A woman is a kind of noise. is a mashup of two movies. The first is Jade, a 1995 movie directed by William Friedkin, starring Linda Fiorentino and David Caruso. The second is Ahazard Balthazar, 1966, directed by Robert Brasson. It's a movie about a donkey, Balthazar. He suffers many abuses on this journey donkeys call life. Both movies have something in common. Great ass! Ahazard Balthazar is a parable about the inevitable suffering of the voiceless. But Balthazar certainly has a voice. Jade has a voice, too. Like Balthazar, Jade is treated like an animal. Like an animal capable of anything. Like an animal always alone. Like Balthazar, her voice is a rasp, somehow thick and thin at the same time. It's important that we distinguish between someone who's had a bad day that ends in a temper tantrum and someone whose failure to resist aggressive impulses results in serious destructive acts. 
People who commit these acts are in many ways no different from you and me, but they are no longer able to control their urges. They disassociate themselves from their own actions, often experiencing a hysterical blindness. The voice of the erotic thriller is not always human. Sometimes a voice is just noise. Noises approximate feeling. In erotic thrillers, most things are approximate. It's a hybrid form, like a mule or a well-intentioned donkey. Noises are important because the words are meaningless. Words are signs for body parts, placeholders for the empty space of bare skin, silk. Words are just nothings made of silk. Here she comes, weightless, hanging from the sky, wearing a short dress of indeterminate color. It's red. Maybe I should see a shrink. I can recommend some. Feel better already. The senses. The ear, the eye, and the leg. The ear and the leg are most important for the erotic thriller. The body is never really present, never entire. Sharon Stone crosses two legs. Sharon Stone. Two legs, no head. I had sex with him for about a year and a half. I liked having sex with him. He wasn't afraid of experimenting. The history of cinema is structured by the male gaze. The woman is the subject of the gaze. But in the erotic thriller, sometimes the woman gazes back. My arms went back. She's well Welcome back to Noisy Ghost. We've had a little bit of a hiatus with our recent episodes about New York City and talking to artists. And now we are back with our themed episode on erotic thrillers. And erotically yours, uh, we have Sam Cruz here back again as our special ghost. He was here for Gay Voice episodes, so go back if you feel like... You're like, who is this person? Go back and listen to that episode and be reintroduced. And I'm here again with my special co-host, co-ghost, Andre Kello. Oh, hi. Thank you. (laughs) And unfortunately, we have Eric Wenzel is out today because he is sick um, with laryngitis. I believe, which is, is he not... erotically sick? He did. He actually mentioned that he's like on this erotic day of days. <laughs> I am erotically sick. So he's, you know, so we'll have to, you know, he's with us in spirit, in ghostly spirit. Um, it's the day after a sexy day. Today's the 15th. Uh, yesterday was Valentine's. Yes. And yesterday, uh, Andre and I went as part of our uh, history making project to learn more about the history and lineages of erotic thrillers, Andre and I went on a special Valentine's Day date to see Fifty Shades of Grey, which we will discuss today in conjunction with other erotic thrillers, um, 
specifically the film Sensation, it's a 1994 erotic thriller starring Eric Roberts and Carrie Wurrer. Carrie Which I can't believe I actually spent two hours watching with it's, my eyes. It's an it's a film. Um, I think Andre is probably the best person to summarize it for our listeners. Oh, Sensation. Sensation, a 1994 thriller. Sensation is... <laughs> I'm going to keep saying It's an erotic thriller about a college professor who's trying to get tenure and his girlfriend is jealous. Jealous. Yeah. And uh, the main character is completely uninvolved with the actual plot of the film. Uh, she's a young college student. Who, she wears overalls with no top. She thinks possibly that she has some sort of psychic ability and Eric Roberts... Exploits this. Yeah. Um, but it's really uh, unclear exactly what role she is supposed to be playing in what kind of a story because it turns out that the relationship that she may or may not be having with a college professor has nothing to do with the murders that are happening. Nope. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have anything to do with her psychic ability. Right, which I think the reason that I wanted to watch this movie, and because well, one, because you were like, you should watch this movie. Also, you falsely advertised it as a good movie, which it is. It was but a lot of fun. Not in the way that I expected it to be. Um, I think that what we learn from this movie in its shittiness, it exposes the apparatus of the erotic thriller as ultimate, ultimately dependent on atmosphere. And not necessarily like Aristotelian plot conventions like other genres are. Well, no, I disagree with you. Okay, go on. Disagree with me away. Well, a lot of genre movies have specific kinds of atmosphere that they cultivate, you know. Like uh, uh, Linda Ruth Williams wrote a book about erotic thrillers and she said that this is a, a kind of a... Um, an evolution from the noir film. And I was going to say that it did feel very film. I mean, there because there's a lot of spinning fans. Yeah, and, <laughs> there were a lot of fans. And, there was there was light coming through uh, Venetian blinds light through Venetian blinds right. with the dust. It was very film yeah. noir. Well, an erotic thriller is is necessarily a pastiche of mm. multiple genres. Genres. It's a hybrid sort of form, and I think that it's dependent on the atmosphere cultivated from multiple sources. So you have the melodrama, like light through the gauze thing. <laughs> you have the fans. You have the femme fatale, who is always fatale, but not always femme. Who was fatale in in this situation? Who was the fatalist? Oh, yeah. well, it's an, uh, an um fatale and not a femme fatale because the, the deadly person is Eric Spo- Roberts. Yeah. Well, wait, but he does, he's not the murderer, though. No. Right, but he's the scary he's person. He's the danger. Right. The danger. Yeah, yeah, it's true. He is the... Well, but- Everybody's convinced he's the killer up until the very end when, spoiler alert, it turns out it was just his jealous girlfriend killing his, his students. Who has maybe... Ten minutes of screen time. She's less. in, I think, three scenes Much before less. we find yeah, out that she's less. the killer. Yeah, but she is very. Um, oh gosh, this <laughs> metaphor is immediately useless when I forget <laughs> the character's name. But in Orange Is the New Black, the um, the woman in charge. Oh, uh, Red. No, no, no. It, uh, actually, in charge of the of the prison. Oh, oh, oh my God! That the Italian name. I love her. Yes. She's such, oh my God, she's amazing. We're the worst. Yeah, <laughs> anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but she she felt very, uh, like, I'm a 90s power woman. Yeah. And I, oh, I, I, I wear... leaned in so far, yes. I almost broke my back. But I'm, <laughs> but I'm back again, yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. But I think what I meant by saying about the genre and atmosphere is that it's, I wouldn't say the genre is character-driven in the sense that it's like, these characters have certain qualities that lead to um, plot. These characters didn't really have they qualities. They don't really have qualities. What they do have, and I'm they have feelings and sensations. Like the character of Carrie that uh, Rural Juror plays is that she she's capable of experiencing the world more fully and more vibrantly than Eric Roberts on account of her biological um like supernatural powers. It's like about well, she, When woman, she touches an object, she can feel the things that were felt by the last person who had the object. Yes, and I think, and, and it's, so she's sort of synesthetic, synesthesia, but the adjective form of that. And she's, <laughs> uh, she is emotionally the, available in ways that men can never the be. The only thing really that she's ever able to figure out with this incredible psychic ability is that the the guy, Eric Roberts, who hands her these uh, you know, lingerie 
Right. Turns out he was the one having sex with the woman who was wearing them. Which is fucking gross! And also, I think you could probably figure that out without ESP. Yeah. Like with science. Yeah. I I also think formally... The idea, the reason I wanted to talk about this particular movie on this on this podcast is because of just how important sound is to not finding the murderer because nothing is really, that just sort of happenstance, like things fall into place for that. Completely irrelevant <laughs> to everything that happened in this film. Exactly. None of the characters in the film had anything to do with what happens so, in the film. So the structuring principle of the movie, the movie that makes the movie the movie, 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 is her attention to the realm of the senses as a alternate or as an alternate realm of experience that can, or, or like... Um, you're losing me, Eleanor. I'm Come sorry. on, help me I'm out not here. Working. What is important? I'm sorry, I'm an asshole. Is that the senses are more important than like you're getting a tenure or like getting you know having a rational mind, being Eric Roberts because Eric Roberts is the epitome of rationality. By the way, <laughs> um, it's it's more important to like paint with your top off and and you know have hair. There are, there are <laughs> a lot of painting sequences in this film. Well, and that was that was something cuz I spent a lot of time after I saw this movie trying to compare it to say like the Cinemax films of our teenage yes. generation oh my which God. as a 13-year-old in 1999, um, I am very familiar mm. with that genre. Yeah, as and, an, yeah. Um as an 11-year-old I was too. <laughs> <laughs> um and it's just so much more lovingly done, you know? How do you like, mean? I mean that it, it... There's a lot of attention paid to the formal aspects. Yes, it takes yeah. itself a lot more seriously. And, oh, painfully And while seriously. it was an excuse to see nudity, it was an excuse to see nudity that was supposed to further the plot. Whereas, you know, these Cinemax movies, it was just like, let's get these people naked as fast as we can, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter what the story is in between. This film was like, yes, this is an excuse for you to see nudity, but this nudity is going to be part of an overall story. This nudity is, nudity is important because it, it's telling a story. Now it didn't. Yeah. This, to be yeah, clear. To be clear, it did not. <laughs> well, there's a way, I think, in which the Cinemax movies are sort of similar to musical theater in the way that it's just like, except nudity is the, the musical. musical number. I, yeah. <laughs> the no, I it's completely like, agree. It's like, yes. they're like, well, I'll tell the world, pitch, pitch, uh, <laughs> you know, pitch, and then like someone takes off their pants. Like, yes. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of, it's very similar to that, I think. But I don't understand, though, because there are other erotic thrillers that were more interested in, in story, though, than... Um, sensation. There are erotic thrillers with actually very complicated plots. So when we're talking about erotic thrillers in broad terms, it's not all, they're not all the same, right? Right. There are... uh, Hashtag not all erotic thrillers. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because I was honestly unaware of that a majority of the underground or of the um, erotic thrillers were made for television. Well, they're made television direct for video. I thought that we were talking about like body heat and like all of these like sort of more legit. We kind of are talking about those though. That's the thing is that the trajectory is so varied and complicated because you can talk, there are some good erotic thrillers and you can say, if you wanted to rescue the genre, you could say that like, I don't know, like Dario Argento movies, which are like canonized and like, you know, film fans love them, like, can be a kind of erotic thriller. Ah, but, but ero- they're horror, erotic, I know. erotic yeah, I know. thrillers are almost never um, graphically violent. It's true. It's true. But you, but they're, what I'm saying, it's less or not if you believe that they actually are. I'm saying that there are arguments made towards these because it's a malleable form. So, okay, the, the idea that I, I had about what was, why erotic thrillers have something in common, even though... They are very different from each other. You know, some of them are made for, uh, well, back then, back in the 80s and 90s, some were made for uh, cable. Some were made for direct-to-video right. to be put in Blockbuster. Some and, were made for Redbox, you know. <laughs> well, by the time Redbox came around, they were, they were pretty much gone, right? We were just... What about Obsessed? Obsessed is... Obsessed has no nudity, though. Okay, now, uh, okay. Obsessed, I think... Now, this is, this is my point. So... There are these erotic thrillers that appear to depict this crazy world. And, you know, there are uh, 
big expensive ones like Fatal Attraction and Basic Instinct, mm-hmm. which were huge hits. Yes. Right? And there are really cheap ones, right, that are, uh, you know, no big stars, look like they were shot on a weekend, mm-hmm. cost practically nothing to make, you know, like uh, you would see maybe the same set in a couple of them. Right. Right. Like, <laughs> Like you, you put together some sort of a, an interior set, and then you brought in a bunch of different crews to all shoot erotic thrillers around the clock. <laughs> well, right. yeah, yeah. And Sensation was somewhere in between. Well, it was directed two. by Brian Grant, who's a, a music video director from the '80s, who had a, a pretty nice pedigree of making, uh, you know, beautiful music videos for people like Tina Turner, right, or, mm. and Donna Summer, and. You know, he got an opportunity to make a And feature. this is the film he made. <laughs> like, this is what's <laughs> Which, so Which, you know, makes sense because some of it does look the way that music videos from the 80s looked, you know, with the, you know, the, the, that gauzy kind of, like, women in high a heels walking like on, a, on, on a foggy street, yeah. you know, being lit by neon and stuff. Mm. You know, that, that, that look, that look of a Diet Coke commercial from the late, night, uh, the late 80s, right? Yeah. Now, there were other great filmmakers from that period who were similarly interested in turning this genre into this big thing, right? Like David Lynch, David Cronenberg. Yes. Right, Adam Goyan. Into a big thing that is separate from erotic thrillers, though, is something unto itself. Well, yeah, but, but still working yeah. within the genre. No, I agree, I agree, yeah. But what I think unites the genre and makes it different from movies like, for example, Fifty Shades of Grey or Obsessed or, you know, a romance that has thrilling elements in it rather than an erotic thriller is that the erotic thrillers are depicting different scenes and different locations from a single contiguous world. This thing that's sort of like a, an empire of straight male Western fantasy. And that's why none of it has anything to do with real life. Mm-hmm. The behaviors of these people, they're all completely bizarre, right? Mm-hmm. You have these characters who are, uh, you know, the femme fatale who is some sort of nefarious bisexual right, but doesn't yeah. behave, like, as if th- she has an actual life or desires. Well she, could, well, she behaves like that because I think that her voice is sort of constitu- constituted by noise. Like, she has this sort of rasp that's like... Uh, right, the, uh, the erotic thriller voice. The erotic voice. thriller voice, which is like Linda Fiorentino. <sighs> and it's in Fifty Shades of Grey. It's yeah. so bad in Fifty Shades of Grey. It's kind of like, she sounds like she has like kind of a speech impediment. Like, I don't really understand it. But And Christian Bale does an erotic thriller voice oh, when he yeah. does the voice oh, of Batman. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. <coughs> oh, wait, my, or my favorite line, or Jamie Dornan does it a little bit with them. I don't make love. I fuck hard. Like, it sounds a little bit like James Gum you in sounded... Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> That's what I was just Yeah, it's say, a little yeah. bit of Silence of the Lambs with some Batman with some something else that I can't quite name yet. Yeah. But I think that voice is very important to the denaturalization of these characters that would normally exist in realist cinema, but are not because the the narrative form isn't really realism. Right. It's not about depicting what people's like what it's really like to be uh, what it's really like to be with Christian Grey (laughs) or to be a cop living on the edge in San Francisco in the 80s, you know, trying to catch a serial killer who's also sexy, you know. I'm sure that that was someone's experience at some point in time, but it was definitely not like anything that happens in Jade or Basic Instinct. So don't you think that the casting then is so perfect, particularly with Michael Douglas and and like Willem Dafoe? Because it's always like a dude that doesn't look like any dude you've ever seen who's not really sexy. Although I actually kind of think Willem Dafoe is sexy. But like... Th- a weird, nodding. gross, smart Sam's guy with nodding. anger problems. Exactly, right. which is like, which can be hot in just the right circumstance of just the right kind of lighting and just the right kind of sound design. But the lighting is important. The lighting is crucial, <laughs> especially for cheekbones with Willem Dafoe and the lack of and cheekbones the yeah. <laughs> with um, Michael Douglas. Well, so I have no idea how female porn is supposed to work, like, you know, narratively. Right. Um, because I, I, I am aware that uh, it is less about let's just get to the slamming. It's all about kills. But, it's all about kissing. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of like softcore like porn aimed at women is like about kissing. But is, which but is, is so this weird. the way yeah. that it was supposed to work? What what is aimed at women and why? And are women just because it's being aimed at them? Are they the consumers? Okay, so are the stuff that's being aimed at men being consumed by men? So this is how the female gaze work, and I know it works because I know because I am a gaze. I mean, a female. <laughs> 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 so I think that women in general, and let Laura Laura Mulvey has discussed this at length. 
women are sort of sutured by and structured by the male gaze as in the history of cinema because cinema has always been oriented towards the male gaze. So what happens is that women, when they watch the movies, are watching it like they're always they're able they're better able than men to put themselves in the subject position of, position of a man. They're just better at it. They can do it. Men don't. Men can live their whole lives without ever having to do that. They can just be like. Oh, I, I could never imagine myself with a woman, and they don't have to. Women, by the, on the other hand, have to constantly do this. So I think that when you make a, a cinema or a TV show or anything that's structured towards a female gaze, it necessarily incorporates the male gaze because that's the history of the form and of media. Now, this specifically applies to sensation because unlike a lot of erotic thrillers, the main character is not the angry, smart male cop who is uh, Ron Perlman in this. Oh my God, yes. He's just a minor supporting character (laughs) who, again, is in three scenes and does nothing to move the plot forward because he's totally wrong about everything. (laughs) (laughs) Men, am I right? (laughs) Sorry, go on. (laughs) (laughs) But you have this woman character who her, what seems to be pushing her forward and con, uh, encouraging her to engage in the adventure is that she's sexually attracted to Eric Roberts. Right. So hit her Ostensibly. struggling with her desire for him and him constantly saying, no, it's a bad idea. I'm your professor. Please leave. Even though he's the one that asks her in the beginning. And is mailing her panties. Yeah, he's being super inappropriate, and but and then it's just like and it's you so, came on to me. <laughs> he's so surprised and humiliated when she starts to hit on him. Yeah, yeah. But to his credit, to his credit, nothing, nothing. He gets you get nothing. <laughs> he gets nothing. I don't think because he's the one guiding the whole narrative along. He's the one who in, who starts the story that she gets like thrust into. And this is why I'm confused, I guess, just reading that book that you guys had about the genre mm-hmm. and then putting this into that context of like this is female centric sexuality. It's yeah. just like if I I am not a female, were I a female watching this, it's just like I identify with this woman zero percent. Exactly. I don't know. And I, she yeah. is helpless in this situation and and even when she's in charge, she's not in charge. I actually, I think it's less useful to think of sensation in those terms than it is to think about obsessed and Fifty Shades of Grey as part of the lineage of the erotic thriller, even if they're not erotic thrillers. Because I think they're the ones doing the work of the sort of recuperation of the female gaze when erotic erotic thrillers were supposed to like restore some sense of agency with a woman as a main character or who did things with the plot. But in Obsessed, we get... Um, Allie Larder doing single white female, um, but she's has this epic battle sequence with Beyonce. It's twenty minutes long. Twenty minutes long. Like you, that. you, you touch my child. Uh, oh my god, Kyle. Which apparently yeah. is not actually a line in the film, uh, but I don't care. Shocked me. No, I don't care. Oh my god, Kyle is in my like, head. Like play it against Sam. Yeah. Or, uh, <laughs> oh my god, Kyle played against Sam. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Luke, I am your father. Right. Yeah. <laughs> None of these happen. Yeah. Um. But. It becomes this sort of homosocial space, but it definitely doesn't pass the Bechdel test because it's over Idris Elba, um, which I think is fine. I think that things if they things don't pass the Bechdel test, I'm like, whatever. That and just... I would fight Ali Larder in an attic over Idris Elba. Um, for yeah, yeah, I would. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know the the <clears throat> the object of obsession or of sensation or of Fifty Shades of Grey is identification. No, I don't think so, too, because that's not how that's not how non-realistic Stanislavski well, cinema works. Well, fantasy, mm-hmm. like the, the, the pleasure, like Laura Mulvey says, the pleasure you get is from looking at it, from not be identifying, from not being... From having the distance, yeah. Right, from, yeah, you just get a pleasure from seeing a, a particular kind of narrative acted out in front of you. But that's assuming a male gaze because men are allowed to sort of look but not see they're allowed to sort of look outside of something without being forced to identify with it that's how male sociality is structured all right well then eleanor as a woman how it seems i don't know is that true am i am i wrong like i mean is there a way in which the the optics of cinema for men are are like they're allowed to have some sort of distance whereas women are forced to identify with everything all the time well i think that this is the problem with the erotic thriller as a genre is that like a comedy film tries to make you laugh and a horror film tries to make you feel scared a erotic thriller is trying to arouse you 
Right. And I just don't feel really aroused. Aroused at all. At and all. when something is attempting to be arousing and then it fails, it's, it's the so worst. it's funny and kind of upsetting at the same time. Well, I think like it's, the office. I, yeah, I think it's well it's like I was telling Andre that I think when the entire we had a very different experience watching Fifty Shades of Grey, Fifty Shades of Grey, because I just felt like that Seinfeld Fardo the entire time because I knew the actors were having a miserable time, but they had to like rally, they had to fucking do it, and I was just like sitting there with my and the my, audience was laughing at every oh, single were they scene. Really? It was it was I, it took like twenty minutes in the movie though for someone to be just like. Oh my god! And then everyone was just all yeah. hell broke loose. Like it was just. It was like we were at a, 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 nep, a screening of the a, room, a midnight it, it, screening. It's yeah. so much like the room because it's all about a room <laughs> when they go into the room. And I can't. I can't. He calls it his. I can't even his say play the room. Right? Shut up! It's the room. I can't oh. say that word because it's so upsetting. So we need to talk about something in uh, sensation. All right. That all right. was very important to me, and I brought up several times, <laughs> and was really the most upsetting part of the film. And that is so Carrie were is going through the motions of kind of solving this sexy crime Mm -hmm. by touching stuff. Never gets anywhere. And she's (laughs) fantasizing, or she's seeing this woman with short brown hair um, having sex. And over the course of the film, she kind of is trying to make herself look more like this woman. Right. And and very early on, she cuts her hair off, uh, trying to approximate the haircut of this woman. Now, she hacks the hell out of her hair. And she spends the rest of the film, including what is supposed to be sort of a triumphant ending, with the most haggard, crazy people hair. She looks sort of like Meredith Baxter Burney. But but Meredith Baxter Burney, if she was not allowed a mirror. (laughs) Like Like if she had to do it herself in the woods. (laughs) So I didn't know if this was part of it. If the idea was that she had gone so deep that she was giving herself her own haircut and it just like... You know, this is her crazed move, and so yeah. it's supposed to look choppy and weird. But, like, for something that's supposed to be erotic... Nothing was, in a movie is ever supposed to look that ugly. It was distractingly yeah. awful. Well, th- There's a scene where they're making love. I don't know if it was real or in a fantasy, but he's, he's you know, pushing her down, and then she pushes her head back up, and it's just like you can see how flat it got from the, <laughs> yeah. from the mattress. And, like, in any self-respecting... Uh, DP director of photography would be like okay we have to stop right now yeah. we have to fix your hair because that's the unsexiest thing I that has seen, ever been yeah. caught on film yeah and she just they just went with it and well, it's like the thing that I think is so interesting about that Sam though is that like there's this element of uh, uh, mental illness being not apologized for in the movie that's so not part of any other erotic thriller I've ever seen like are ment- you talking about Fifty Shades of Grey or are you talking about Sensation I'm talking about both Sensation <laughs> I'm talking about Sensation really um, because I think that all the all the women in these erotic thrillers, whether they're suffering from like PTSD from being like raped too sexy or being too sexy <laughs> or from being too like just having too long a legs or something I don't know there's always something that is keeping them from being emotionally intimate with a man in a way that the man wants them to be or is forcing them to be in disguise all the time well, both or forcing are... them into lesbianism which according to these movies is a mental kind of is a kind of mental illness well i mean that was at least in the 90s it was still a mental illness <laughs> well but Mulholland drive i mean what is that 2001 yeah and that's it's sort of it's oddly um anachronistic the way that there are the attitudes people have towards sexuality in these kinds of movies, it seems like stuck, not even in the 80s, but in like the 50s. Yeah, well, that's David Lynch's like nostalgia porn, though. I mean, in some ways it becomes. Cause it, it just feels like five men in a room being like, what are women going to think of sexy? Yeah. But like, it's so. Yeah. It, <laughs> but is it. Is the idea that this is supposed to make a woman aroused? I don't think so. Well, Fifty Shades of Grey. Fifty Shades of Grey is supposed to be... I can't imagine how that was supposed to get any kind of a particular experience out of anybody who ever lived. Well, apparently it has, and I think... No, the book, maybe, but that movie... That movie doesn't make any sense, sexually, unless you've never seen anyone... (laughs) Have sex. Have sex before. In which case, like, which is why I think, like, 11-year-old me was, like, Cinemax, like, because, like, it's not sexy, but if you're 11, you're, like... thrusting butts. That's what I remember. (laughs) 11-year-olds are the perfect audience for this kind of movie, though, because here's this thing where it's all built in a really intricate way toward a particular end, 
with tons of nudity and sexuality and all the suspense is built up around that particular relationship the way that when you're 11 there's an enormous amount of anxiety and fear yeah. built up around how sex works yeah um or when you're 27 yeah exactly <laughs> but, then, <laughs> but then nothing that you actually see makes any sense from any kind of perspective of somebody who's had a partner in their life right but i think well I, she's a mormon isn't she no i think that's oh that's no that's twilight, twilight. That's i think right. i think though that there must be some sort of sexiness and detachment i have no idea i don't i don't pretend to know how other people's minds work but the reason that i don't understand why people i mean i get why people in the bdsm community are upset about 50 shades of gray because clearly representation matters and this is like they get very little representation and like that's that's a big deal but at the same time i don't see anything about 50 shades of gray as having anything to do with any kind of bdsm that anyone would know so i see it like a sort of a sign without a reference like so it doesn't what, seem to have does, any how does it how does it manifest itself then? it's just like they there's a contract and they're like the, he seems to think that the fact that he's into bondage t makes him some kind of troll who lives under a bridge, despite the fact that he's literally a billionaire. Yeah, and like I don't get it. He is weirdly obsessed with sex to the that it like keeps him from being a normal person. He's just more. I'm less worried about him being into bondage. More I'm worried about him being like obsessed with sex. Well, yeah. I mean, he's clearly he says that he's a victim of sexual abuse. He doesn't say that see it as abuse though. The um. And Anastasia Steele is the one. Who, I cannot believe that's her. Main, I know the main character's name of this. Anastasia Steele, Steele Gray, Gray Steele. Yeah, uh, she. Oh, I didn't even put that together. Oh, dude. Yeah, she. I mean, she's the one who's like, oh, so you were abused as a child, and he's like, no, we're friends now. <laughs> it's not. It's not okay. The whole thing just feels so creepy and gross. And not because of the sex. Not because of the sex. Because they have the most vanilla, boring sex. Yeah. Like they they have this contract scene where they talk about anal fisting and Yoinks. genital clamps. And she's like, no, no. And he's like, okay. And then they're like, she's like, is Felicia okay? It's like, okay. It's like, of course it is. But then the sex that they have, they it's just missionary position, consensual sex, and occasionally she has her hands tied above her head. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. With with like a very soft rope. They did like probably wouldn't they do much. they do kinkier <laughs> stuff on sitcoms on network television. When yeah. they when they show somebody walking into a bedroom and they want to indicate that that oh we walked in on you having sex. But you see his dick neck though at one point. Yes, the very the very connecting <laughs> tissue of That's, the base of the dick. Uh, thanks uh, to Kath Barbadoro for that that, that term because <laughs> I didn't dick know. Neck. Dick That's neck. That's revolting. I you think it's it. it's going to spread like wildfire throughout the <laughs> the language now. Oh, I thought you were gonna say throughout the BDSM community. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So okay, but I want to go back to this lineage discussion about obsessed and Fifty Shades of Grey. And if you guys can name any other successors to the erotic thriller. But these these genre. aren't erotic thrillers. No, they're not, but they're six clearly they're indebted to this lineage. To like what do you call it? Because single um, weight female and um Fifty Shades of Grey as being like uh what what would it mean for a man and a woman's r romantic relationship to just constitute a plot? Well like, an obsessed is definitely just uh what do you call it? Um uh the one with Glenn Close. Oh, oh Fatal, Fatal Attraction. Fatal Attraction. Yeah. Uh, yes. I mean, yeah, but Fatal Attraction is an erotic thriller. Right. The difference between Obsessed and Fatal Attraction is that in Fatal Attraction, the main character is Michael Douglas, the man. I can't really imagine... Wow. Like, can you imagine in 2015 a movie being made with people that looked like Michael Douglas and Glenn Close? They both looked so hideous. I know. I can't imagine anything like that happening. Now it'd be like Glenn Close, played by Kira Knightley, <laughs> with Matt Bomer, like as Michael Douglas. Like, Glenn, like, we've got a great idea for your hair for this erotic thriller. <laughs> We're going to give you a perm, and it's going to be beautiful. <laughs> and Adrian Lyne, the director of that film, oh, and a God. number of other erotic films, you know, because that's his thing. Oh, my God. The one... Oh, I love that. He movie. did a version of Lolita. You know, he did. No, oh, he, is that the one? He with... did a, a perfect murder. No, he didn't do a perfect. No, murder. that's like my favorite movie. Juliette <laughs> Lewis was in a Lolita, wasn't she? Or no. did I totally make that? No, that's, no, it's that's Dominique Swain. Dominique okay. Swain, that's right. Yes. Oh, but with no, J uh, Jeremy Irons. Adrian Lyne did Unfaithful, which that's I right, legitimately with Richard think. Richard Gere and. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm getting my ethnicities. Is enough. <laughs> is enough. Uh, a, oh no! Enough is a revenge. Because I mean, she has fantasy. sex. Yeah, no, but it's just a revenge fantasy. Yeah, yeah. See, I think obsessed and enough are both 
fantasy films oriented at a, a woman audience, uh, probably... Enough was like for me. Noah Wiley was in it. That's definitely for a woman's audience. Like probably, oh no, they went out of their way to include a lot of elements from erotic thrillers, but they're very different from erotic thrillers in that they are not about women having fantasies of who they their next sexual partner could possibly be, or you know, some sexual adventure that they go on, like a sex vacation, for example. Oh yes, but rather Stella got her groove back. Yeah, but instead that these are fantasies of violence that women get to commit. Yes. Which is why if Stella got her groove back, it would be what would happen if Stella didn't get her groove back and she murdered everybody. Like that would be <laughs> that would be the plot you of that. You should go film. to you should go to a producer with, <laughs> with this that. idea. There are yeah, yeah, the there fa- are the male fantasy, fantasy films <clears throat> that have female violent protagonists like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. Or uh But she's not the only violent one. The Virgin Spring, you know. Also not the only violent one. Movies that are more about the anxiety that men feel about women being victimized. Well, what about Gone Girl? Mm. How does Gone Girl fit into this trajectory? Because David Fincher does this thing where he's like, oh, yes, look at all these women doing things. What if I made them not do those things? Well, it was not erotic it's, at all. It's, no, it's like it an erotic thriller in genre terms in that it has all the elements, but it's incredibly unerotic. Yeah. It's inerotic? A, 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 erotic? Erotic. Um, <laughs> Well, and it felt much more, that felt like a revenge fantasy. Yeah. I mean, a, a revenge fantasy that nobody else has. So it's not like, <laughs> a, it's not like enough where you've like, you're like, oh my God, she's a victim and she's getting revenge. It's no, but like, that's... She's getting revenge for the middle class fantasy. But like, then in the sense that erotic, that erotic thrillers are not about real people in real life, Gone Girl is the same way. Oh yes, that's true. So in that sense, it is kind of like an erotic But Gone thriller. Girl. And you see I, penis. And you see, although I missed it. I didn't see the penis. Well, I, no, because there's, there's two penises. Wait, tell me about the second there's, penis. There's Neil Patrick Harris penis. <laughs> yes, is, this, is, this like, right. is this like the third shooter? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Back and to penis. the left. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, another... there's Neil Patrick Harris's penis, which is just out there. And then mm-hmm. allegedly, and I missed it too, but allegedly when Ben Affleck, ben Affleck is like in, in the, the shower. But they, you, you can't can... see it because your eye automatically goes to the naked woman because that's yeah. how cinema works. No, yeah. I went to the butt, but you know. That's yeah, well. Mm. But see, I've been sutured into the male gaze. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, you've been in enough cinema studies classes that you know where your eye is supposed I to know, be. exactly. When it's David ruined. Fincher is making a film and you're watching it, you know exactly where your eye is supposed yeah, to go. exactly. Oh, God. But like, you know, they had press tours about that dick shot. You know, like, what's her name? Jennifer Garner went on television to talk about her husband having a dick shot. And then the world went to see this dick shot. And there was nothing. (laughs) Well, the The world lined up. (laughs) The thing is that you can't sell what the movie really is, which is a movie for you to enjoy if you're unhappy in your marriage. But I don't. Can you imagine going on a date? I mean, I did go on a date to see that movie. I did, too. (laughs) No, it just seems so strange. But wait. Okay, so so not an erotic thriller. Sorry. No, but the names the names of the movies we've discussed that are even if they're not erotic thrillers are part of the history are Obsessed, Gone Girl, and um da 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 da. We talked about a lot of movies. Yeah. Wait. Okay. So, how do we understand the genre? Is like how would you define an erotic thriller? Sam, go. <sighs> um, I would say Luigi's next. <laughs> uh, I, I would asleep. say that it is. Um, a movie meant to titillate, mm-hmm. sure, but first. in a very specifically vanilla, not vanilla, vanilla is the wrong word, in a very specifically gauzy way. Okay. Uh, with, a, with a filter. I that, that. has a, that it, and the sexiness is driven by some danger. A danger. Mm. Okay. Th- there is always, there is always an element of. Yeah. Now this is, I think, uh, in the interview that uh, Williams did with Paul Verhoeven, this is what he identified as being the thing that went wrong with Showgirls. There was what, no danger. There was there was no thriller aspect to it, and so the whole thing just felt like an a, epic. Yeah. So right. Showgirls was supposed to be an erotic thriller. No, he said that the reason that his erotic thrillers were received so much better than Showgirls was was because the erotic thriller includes the danger to increase the stakes to a point where the sex, which would otherwise be ridiculous, becomes interesting and necessary. Now, when you make a movie with just the sex in it, then all you're left with is how stupid and silly people look when they're having sex. Which is exactly what the problem was with Fifty Shades of Grey. And I mean, 
Right, the stakes were so low. Oh, God. I would say that Showgirls has more of a plot than Fifty Shades of Grey. It has an enormous plot. It has a five-act plot. That's the problem. It's such a careful balance of plot to atmosphere to nudity. Like, this is is the golden triangle, you know? And you got to have a little bit of each. So uh, Paul Verhoeven made a film when he was a young man living in uh, the Netherlands. Uh, called uh, Kitty Tipple. The sexiest of, of countries. <laughs> uh, Kitty Tipple is uh, almost identical to Showgirls. It's about this young girl, uh, I think in 17th century uh, Amsterdam, who uh, moves from the city, uh, from the country to the city to uh, make her fortune, to you know, to, so that she can survive and, and awaken her sexuality. Well, she uses sex to move up and eventually become a wealthy and successful person in the city. But then she has to deal with the fact of how she got there, mm-hmm. which is very much the, yeah. the projection uh, that, uh, you know, we know me Malone. You know, she gets to the top and then it's all for nothing. It's all worthless to her because of how she got there because she became a whore. Somewhere in Los Angeles, Elizabeth Ooh. Berkeley's ears are burning. <laughs> I hope knowing so. Knowing that somebody is talking about Showgirls right now. I mean, it's it's a pretty popular midnight movie. So we talked about when we watched Sensation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have trouble saying that title. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we talked about whether um, To Die For was an erotic thriller. No, that's... Which it, we said it's no. It's a crime drama. But it's, it, it's a crime that's drama. That's also sexy. It's a... I don't think there's anything sexy Well, I mean, she's... There's like, sex in it. She's the femme fatale for sure. Yeah, and, and she's fe- she's both femme and fatale. But yeah. the, but yeah. this is one of the things that separates the, uh, the erotic thriller as a genre that's constituted by formula, is that if you follow... The femme fatale, it, it very much changes the experience from if you're the following the guy who right. is being fataled by the, the femme. <laughs> well, I think that's the transition from noir to erotic thriller because in, an, in a noir, it's a woman in trouble. And in uh, erotic thriller, it's um, woman is causing trouble. Well, and no, sometimes the woman causes trouble too. Lauren McCall was always causing trouble. Right, yeah. but, she's, but she's causing trouble that... To herself, there's necessarily uh, like this the self-destructive, the self-destructive thing. Cigarette smoking, and woman. I don't think that's always true in erotic thriller. I think there's more of a like, what would it mean? What would a world look like where a man was afraid for his life by from a woman? Like it's, but it's that just wasn't that the case in Sensation, head. right? Because Sensation switches it. It, mm-hmm. Very much like also The Last Seduction, which we didn't watch yeah. for this week, but which starred Linda Fiorentino as mm-hmm. a, a con artist who uses sex to get what she wants, mm-hmm. uh, as often is the case in erotic thrillers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and life, am I right, ladies? It's true. It's true. <laughs> well, aren't we all constantly using everything that is at our disposal to get what we want? I mean, how often do we do things for no reason at all? Oh, um, I mean, what? (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I mean, I think that it's, you know, a reflection on what a lady has to work with in the world we live in. Like fancy. It's like, like, how is that? I was thinking of fancy while you were talking. In which erotic thrillers are indebted to country songs. Is there a relationship here? Is there something about like this sort of narrative level that's. Like there, I there think are country erotic thrillers. Flesh and Bone <laughs> is an example of this. Um, sort of Dennis Quaid, James Caan, uh, Meg Ryan, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow in one of her earliest roles. Uh, sort of a um, you know like uh, noir meets justified kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. You know a lot of dusty landscapes and uh, you know lightning crashing outside the window of a country home kind of a thing. Yeah, and it ends up being like. Sort of like uh, the way that they do in Wild Things, where they use the environment as wild things mm-hmm. as a as a metaphor for the dangerous sexuality of the women. But that's melodrama. That's not a ero- that's not. I mean, erotic thrillers get that from melodrama, from women's cinema in the thirties, yeah, twenties. Yeah, but so did noir. Yeah, is Wild Things an erotic? Oh thriller? yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely it yeah. is. Oh my yeah. god, yeah. Because the the one of the things I think that that identifies the erotic thriller. Is that it has a sex scene that isn't supposed to be romantic. Sure. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be 
sexually exciting simply because you're seeing these attractive people have sex. Unlike, say, for example, in a movie like Fifty Shades of Grey, where uh, they build up to the sex for like an hour and a half. So there's no sex for the first 90 minutes? No, not the first 90 minutes. There's... It feels like six or seven days. We The movies, we got to the theater. The screening was supposed to start at 7.20. I... The first time I looked at my phone, it was 7.38, and I was like, oh, my God. Why were they put? Oh, I see. Yeah, like, I, I was, we were yeah. watching it, and I was just like, oh, oh, my God. I think I looked at my phone every every 10 minutes for that entire movie. But you know what? It's not totally <laughs> awful that they made it so incredibly boring because the effect is that you feel like this relationship, which takes place over a period of, what, a few weeks? Yeah. It, it feels like it takes years. Oh, my God. Which is why you're, like, kind of, when her friend is like, oh, aren't you moving a little fast with this guy? And, and I can totally be like, I'm like, no, she's not really. It's fine. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, we've been here an hour already. Yeah. She's not moving too fast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I Well, and that's interesting that there's a friend who's saying, are you moving too fast? Because I that was my favorite part of Sensation. Was the yeah. b- the sassy best friend? Yeah, with the ugly haircut. She An- another of, another woman who like allowed a, herself to get an ugly haircut for this movie, like a boring version of Martha Plimpton. I yes, think. yes, yeah. and um, and her role was to only be like, "Oh, Carrie, you're so crazy," and yeah. then she dies. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> yeah, the, the role of the best friend. I mean. It's I, the role that we would probably all be cast in yeah, were we in an erotic thriller. Definitely. We're all the sassy best friends. Who gets murdered. <laughs> Who gets murdered. I would be, oh my God. Yeah, including Luigi over here. <laughs> yeah, it would be like, I think that that's also part of what Andre was saying, though, about the women's audience idea, like or an audience of women, is that there has to be a best friend, whereas that, that that's not necessarily true. In movie in like film noir where there's just like a solitary detective who just okay, like wait. his best friend is Jim Beam, you know. <laughs> so you two never gave your single sentence description of what a okay. erotic thriller is. I'm gonna go because Andre's gonna blow us out of the water. So <laughs> I'm gonna say an erotic thriller is a movie with a plot that is superseded by atmosphere and genitalia <laughs> <laughs> not genitalia or uh, superseded by atmosphere and the human body yeah almost genitalia so this yeah. is a, like a dance film it's a lot like a dance film I think it's less about I think the thing there I like there was some great dancing thing, and sensation with thing, Eric oh Roberts oh my god yes. th- he has this like African tribal oh, moment it's so bad it involves grabbing his crotch and it was very. He sticks his tongue out, and he's got paint on his face. It's so you bad. could tell that they knew what they were saying. It did not translate, and I did not know what they were. I'm saying. glad that they did it. I'm glad but that they, that exists. They I, had I, they had some real thoughts. There were notes. We got to have a gif of Eric Roberts doing that crazy fucking dance. We'll do, we'll find it. We'll make it work. I I think that the thing I am sort of interested with erotic thrillers about is that even though they're incredibly, like, visual as a medium, obviously they're movies, but, like, I think there's something about erotic thrillers that, like, really take advantage of, like, color and light, Um, which is why a lot of the movies, a lot of them have characters who, like, have ESP or, like, like the movie The Color of Night. It's about, like, sort of, like, these optics and what it means to look. And and I I also, but I also think there's so, it's so important about how the the body is like a thing that moves in space is is really important for like driving the plot along it's not just words the words in erotic thriller are fucking meaningless and i talk about this in the monologue like it's just they're they're just signs for for atmosphere or for feelings or for sensations they're just like you could watch it on mute you could and like but then you would miss the great saxophone music oh, oh that's true. it's true and well that's what i mean is the sax the, you couldn't watch it on mute is actually yeah but you could watch you could watch it without and any get dialogue the plot. You yeah could, yeah yeah it's the sat like the <clears> saxophone <throat> and sometimes there's a synthesizer and it's just it's just about what would it mean for like for a story to just be like dance theater well yeah. and that color in sensation and i i you know yeah. I don't know how prevalent the light is, uh, the color themes, but uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think you guys hadn't seen I Know Who Killed Me. I haven't seen but, it yet, but I... Oh, is that a descendant? Uh, of no, I don't think so, just because it's so not sexy. But... Um, but that, well, okay. I like, she, she, like, there are moments that are supposed to be kind of sexy, but and she's a stripper. Okay. But like, sounds... so there's this very interesting... Mm-hmm. Not interesting. There's this, there's this very... There's a thing they try to do where... 
Uh, you know, she's a writer. I really like that. It's a thing. That, not inter- it's a thing they tried to. Do. It's a thing they tried to do. Where like she is a teenage writer who wrote this fictitious character for herself. That's a stripper, mm-hmm. and there's this like dual life where like she disappears, and when she comes back, she's the stripper character, and mm. she denies ever knowing that she's this other person. Mm-hmm. And when whenever these two characters are on screen, one gets blue light, and everything around her is blue, oh, and then yeah. the, the the harlot is red, and this everything is like red. It's relevant to an. Necrotic thriller. Well, it's the way that they used to do. I almost said necrotic thriller. (laughs) I mean, it is. A lot of uh, old black and white silent films would be uh, tinted in certain um, shots and in certain locations to uh, because you know they didn't have color at the time. So, for example, you know if it's a night scene, they would tint it blue, and then you go back into the house and everything's tinted orange, Mm -hmm. and it gives you this sense of moving back and forth between spaces, right? But then the actual effect is that you're aligning different kinds of uh, experience, uh, you know, different emotional experiences that you're having as a viewer with different uh, color schemes. It's interesting because it's sort of a manipulation of the women's melodramas of the 50s, like the Douglas Sirk thing, where... We are psychic today. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking about because Douglas Because in, in the Douglas Sirk movies, it's more, um, oh, look how vibrant and real and beautiful this world is, and it's so full of affect and emotion. But what erotic thrillers do, and noirs, and these these like more um, plot-driven movies, like that are, you know, involve more men, are... About divi- about division and like structuring plots and, and characters against each other to create lines and you know it's it's so much more I don't know it's so much more about plot than it is about character or feeling. Well, I think <laughs> plot matters a lot in these because, as you said, there's so much about bodies and about the movement of bodies and mm-hmm. about these sex scenes and about setting them up and justifying them. Yeah, that. If the plot isn't really strong, yeah. then the sex scenes just seem like, what the, what are I we doing I know, here? and it's such a fine line. You know, I have such sympathy for people trying to make these movies because it's just like, God, you, you can make, for every basic instinct, there's a, you know, a sensation. <laughs> there's just, yeah. If, if the plot isn't super strong in the way that it, it's uh, delivered to the audience, you know, beat by beat by beat, mm-hmm. then the result is reality starts to creep in. Oh, and then you cannot have that. Well, <laughs> that is not... It, yeah. it, once, it's no longer a fantasy. <clears throat> like, and, you know, that's what I think, if, you know, I had to say what the genre was. Please. I would say that uh, an erotic thriller is a literalization of the bizarre dream logic of the uh, straight male sexual mind. Okay, mm. but that's not exclusive to erotic thrillers. I think it is. I think even pornography doesn't attempt to depict the realm of like the male sexual of fantasy. Yeah. Uh, pornography is incredibly practical in that it's about transforming dollars into semen. Yeah. <laughs> right? And they do very And, and vice versa. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so a lot of times you have things where, you know, in pornography um, – the, the work is stripped in a sort of modernist way down to the very fewest yeah. elements that you could possibly include. Totally. It's so right? true. But in an erotic thriller, they're all, even the cheap ones, especially the cheap ones, seem to be sort of Rococo in the way mm-hmm. that they are just filigreed and covered with detail and, and design. That's, that's the fascinating thing is that s- sensation didn't feel sloppy. Like it no, felt it like there feels, was a yeah. lot of planning and thinking and yeah. designing of it, and it is, it still seems cheap. Yeah, I agree. Well, but but I, even but, dis, but despite the rococo ness, yes, I agree with Andre. The about cheapness, that. No. though, I think comes from the fact that you're watching a narrative <clears throat> which is, as again, uh, I keep going back to Linda Ruth Williams, mm-hmm. essentially talky. Right. Right, right. These are films about people in a room talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And that always feels cheap. Right. And like and sometimes an yeah. erotic thriller attempts to uh, open it up by including a car chase. A lot of them have car chases. Oh, my God. Jade has like three car chases. Oh, yeah. my God. That car chase where they're going through that Chinese New Year's parade it's, and it's just a standstill and he's just... Leaning out the window, screaming it's about at the a Chinese man, It's about people. a man in traffic is what's going on. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, yeah, it takes forever, too. Much like Fifty Shades of Grey, boring and hilarious at Bo- the same time. Oh, my God. But I was thinking about what you were saying, though, Andre, about, like, there's something sort of 
as, as opposed to pornography, which is just trying to bear everything down to the essentials to what, you know, how, what can we get away with? Um, and I feel like with erotic thrillers, you know, like you're saying, it's more Baroque. And I think that connects it to a sort of to a theatrical uh, era of the restoration comedy, which is a descendant of this Puritan theater form called the drame bourgeois, which was like, no. We the theater needs to be a moral art. It needs to be moralistic. It needs to tell people how to feel and how to think. It shouldn't, you know, and everyone should get married in the end. But it shouldn't be like a comedy. It should just be uh, for for um, purely didactic. And then after that, they had the restoration comedy, which was which was fluff. It was just pure fluff. There was nothing to be learned. It was just witticisms, and you read the 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 language, and it's just, you know, um alliteration and assonance and everyone's wearing ridiculous costumes and the characters are all named like Bianca Silviana and like is and um, like school for scoundrels one of these yes and they're just it's that's all it is and I think there's something about this like if we can just bury sex and there's a lot and there's a lot of like bodiness and restoration comedies too but it's all gussied up so it's okay and I think if erotic voters do the same thing where it's like if we can take sex and just make it unrecognizable from sex we can really make something sexy. You know, like, that's what I think they're trying to do. I think the film that does that the best is Color of Night. The sex scenes My favorite in, erotic thriller, by the way. Listeners. The sex scenes in Color of Night are so unlike anything that any human being has ever you experienced. Can, well, one, Bruce Willis's ween is in it, which is oh, unlike sure, any sure. sexual experience I've ever had. And two, there's the swimming pool sequence with a Where, pool. where Jane March appears to be able to breathe underwater. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it's it's kind of like a Disney movie in that way, you know. There's something so extreme about it. It's just pure. Ariel doesn't give the prince a blowjob underwater. No, though, right? shut. Why are you ruining? Why are you ruining <laughs> this? But yeah, Color of Night is the best because it's just, it's by trying so hard to be sexy, it ends up being the opposite of sexy. But it also tried to be really smart. Oh, like well, they all do that. They that's all think the great so thing smart. about the Color of Night was that it was like. You know, trying to delve into psychology, right? It dealt yeah. it, with a lot of the themes that recur in uh, films that are in the erotic thriller genre, including uh, psychiatrists, mm-hmm. uh, BDSM, uh, right? Which is contemporary for smart art, right? Because there's a painter in this, and there's a painter in Sensation, right? And yeah. then there's often sculptors and. But I think that's coming from. Artists. I think that's coming from. It's like an elaboration on the film noir thing where it's like you want to be wisecracking, tell no lies. These are the people smart, of the underworld. These are the people of the underworld who are smart and kind of living on the edge. And that's sexy in and of itself because they live on the edge. And that means they're smart. So it's once again, it's just an impression of an impression of something substantive. Mm. Yeah. That's what I think, at least. But I guess... I'm looking forward. I'm trying to think. Do you guys know of any movies coming up that are or songs? Is there like a sonic? Is there a musical version of an erotic thriller? Oh, I think that the song that rem- always reminds me of an erotic thriller is that one that goes ba da 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 with the the saxophone like solo. A Star Trek. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking. Oh gosh, Man. I was thinking the Edge of Glory that Lady Gaga. Oh prestige. yeah, yeah. The the music video for that. It, it oh, looks, I yeah. see what. Yeah. Because the, the song, end, it's, the well, the both end. of these things are have saxophone solo. Saxophone yeah. really is saxophone. the sound. Well, and that music song. video is very smoky and blue. Yeah. and I actually love that music video. I, think I hated it. Oh, really? I think they it's so filmed great. Filmed it on the uh, Sesame Street lot. It oh, was just like very. Oh God! It it felt like a Billy Joel. You know what's weird? And you're video. you know Sam. You and I were talking about Miss Saigon earlier. You know mm-hmm. that song, a song played on a solo saxophone. Yes, a crazy <laughs> sound. I was thinking <clears throat> that kind of to me sounds like it's trying to be that like '80s sexy See, smoky. I was gonna say thing. Lana Del Rey. Oh well, my! Feels musically like nailed an erotic it. Yeah. Musically, the stuff that you hear in an erotic thriller is the same exact stuff that was in noir. Yes. Right? Like the the music from Chinatown, the music from, uh, you know, Color of Night. Well, but the thing about the, the saxophone, though, is that it's, it even makes an appearance in, like, Ghost Dad, which was not an erotic thriller by any means. No, like, it's there's true. But there's plenty of music in it that's very reminiscent. Like, like I don't know, the Bill, Co- the Bill Cosby scene where he's walking down with the, looking like the um, Invisible Man, and it's like, dun, 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 dun. Like, and it's, 
I don't know. There's something Henry Mancini. Yeah, Henry Mancini. <laughs> yeah, there's something about Henry Mancini. I think that maybe speaks to that time period, which then well, was, it's all uh, heavy-handed. It's incredibly heavy-handed. Yeah, right. Like erotic thrillers are never. They're never gonna do a scene and put a little bit not enough music in it. No, no, always right? too much. Very lush. Yeah. <laughs> Very lush. That's a kind. That's a kind <laughs> adjective for what's going well, on. Well, I, you know, the erotic thriller is sort of like a feature-length music video, at least in the way that it was made in the '90s. Right. Because the idea yeah, is yeah. to create and sustain a feeling, mm-hmm. and yeah. You know, often with music videos, the idea is, look at this sexy pop star. Yeah. Right? And uh, some of the people who directed, not just uh, the guy who did Sensation, but uh, Gregory Dark, the guy who directed the music video for Hit Me Baby One More Time, he directed more than 100 erotic thrillers. So here's a thought that I continually had when we were talking about the music video director moving into film, Mm -hmm. which is... Um, Charlie's Angels, okay, which was directed by Mick G, yep. who oh was a prolific music video director and of the nineties. Awful at it. And I'm not a Mick G, right? Fan. But but Charlie's Angels was like uh, Sensation. You watched it and you were like, "This is just a glorified, underthought music video." Yeah, and I buy that. Like you know, all the slow mo body shots and all mm-hmm. the like fun dance numbers. And um, each individual shot taken by itself is a lot of fun to watch and would sustain your interest. But it's not thought about by the the creator in such a way where it makes sense as a larger piece. Right. Yeah. I think that's true. I also think, though, that like with music lately, like pitchfork, hipster music culture, there is this sort of fetishization of the 80s like – uh, saxophone and um, synthesizer that the people are trying to bring back like M83 and that sort of dreamy Sofia Coppola thing that I think might be sort of involved to the visual culture of well, the it's, erotic thriller. Oh, it's a weird reversal because at the time in the 80s that stuff signified that kind of sound the synthesizer with the saxophone it's, it's, it, it symbolized uh, this adulthood this underground you know like this uh, this thing that that was like kind of dirty and kind of illicit, yeah. you know, and, you know, dangerous and new and fun. And now you hear that stuff and it just makes you feel like you're a little kid again. Yeah. Right. It's a, because it's nostalgic. It's the, it's the nostalgia machine. But it's not a nostalgia even for being a teenager. It's a nostalgia for when being a little kid and watching videos on MTV. Yeah. But I, I wonder what that's going to be like in the future, though, when people don't have those memories. There's a great movie <clears throat> that has all of these things, and uh, the only reason I wouldn't call it an erotic thriller is because the only thing erotic was a nude man, Ooh. which I was totally into, obviously. But mm-hmm. I, you know, yeah, I and, and it's sort of revenge, and it's sort, of, but it's called The Guest, hmm. and um, this is a new film. It's a new film with the guy from uh, Downton Abbey, yeah, the cousin Matthew from Downton Abbey, oh. and. It involves all of the color, and the entire soundtrack is new music, but with that synth and uh, um, saxophone that brings back the 80s. Yeah. And it's all supposed to be an homage to 80s thriller movies. Cool. Um, it's a great movie, and it's funny in a very weird way, but um, it does play with a lot of the same things more successfully, I would say, because uh, it, its mission... It didn't have this whole thing hanging over it of like, oh, and we also have to turn on the yeah. audience for that's at least a, 30 minutes of this movie. That's the guest. That's a really great recommendation. We should watch that. It's great. Think and, about it. And yeah. it's, it was, you know, yeah, kind of sexy. <laughs> kind of sexy. All right. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to Noisy Ghost. But we have one last thing to hear from Luigi and his definition of the erotic thriller. Oddio, non cominciamo con questa faccenda della parità dei sessi. Sono balle. Non è vero. L'uomo è diverso dalla donna. Le donne sono delicate. Sono fragili. 